this is, uh, I think, the 26th episode I've done. Uh, the title of this episode is, Your Addiction is Not Your Problem. You know, a, a brief kind of quick history of mine. Addiction, to understand it, it's, there's some genetic predisposition to, to being an addict for sure. It does certainly run in the family. Um, and then typically the way that gene is activated is too much stimulation or, or trauma at an early age, right? And so what it will do is it will create um, imbalances within the brain and flood the brain with a lot of, too much dopamine and different chemicals before, you know, we're really ready to handle that. And uh, it, it changes our rewiring and our synapses in the brain. And so it creates what, you know, today's society we call an addict. When I was seven years old, my uh, brothers, my dad had this back massager and my brothers brought it in and, you know, they're young too and told me to put it on my groin and I had an orgasm and uh, that's what happened. And, you know, I didn't have a dirty thought in my mind, but uh, I knew what I was doing was wrong, which also created a shame aspect there. But from then on, you know, if I really think, man, I just, my mind, and even so today, not as much, is on a constant search for stimula stimulation, right? I, I need that in order to feel normal. I need a certain amount of uh, dopamine to, uh, you know, reach homeostasis uh, because I, I just don't produce as much naturally. So, you know, I'm not going to get too much into my story um, uh, through some crazy experiences of uh, misdiagnosis with medication and stuff. I uh, found myself in 2013 in the Haven, a rehab in Salt Lake City. Uh, if you want to check out my story on my podcast, it's episodes two through four. I talk about that a lot more at length, but you know, for me, uh, I, I was in there and I was not understanding myself. And, and you know, because of this, uh, you know, side effect of this medication, it threw me into what's called a manic episode. And my mind wasn't quite working right. And all I knew was I was a guy who was, you know, strong in my faith, you know, and, and for the most part doing pretty good to within two weeks in a rehab. Uh, my family was... Uh, my wife was separated with my kids and I was in danger of losing my business <laughs> and I didn't understand. I was like, what happened? And you know, this, this specific rehab, I don't think they are anymore, which is sad, but at the time they were 12 step oriented. And, uh, you know, I started going to these meetings and, and learning these things and I, I, I didn't really like it. And a lot of the reason I didn't like it is I didn't like the term addict which a lot of people don't, right? And there's, there's negative connotations with that, an addict. And I had my uh, conceptions of what an addict was, and I didn't think I fit in the mold. Everyone else there fit in the mold, <laughs> but I was different. I was, I was special, right? I was, I was unique. So my uniqueness, it still gets me into quite a bit of trouble, but uh, I did not like that. And I did not want a spiritual cure to my problem at the time because of all that I had major hang-ups with God and I, I didn't quite know where I was and uh, you know so for a year I, I for the most part stayed clean after it um, but eventually you know things just went rough and I started to really struggle I started to use a lot and uh, you know through the course of time I, I would study these steps just a little bit and then I would 
pull away from it and think I was good, and then I'd have an issue and I'd study with them again. So I, I started to learn more and more of them. Well, eventually I was out in Louisiana, and uh, this is my last rehab I went to, and uh, my therapist today, he, he works there, and uh, I, I was tired. I needed help, and at that point I didn't care about stigmas. I didn't care about anything. I just wanted to get better. I was tired of feeling sick and tired, and uh, I was open. And so I started to learn a little bit more about these 12 steps. You know, as I talk with people, a lot of people, you know, if, as you identify with an addict, well, you're not an addict. We all have addictive tendencies. You're someone who struggles with drug addiction. Well, I think there's a major misconception about what we as addicts believe the term addict means. To me, all that I say when I say I'm an addict is I am very aware that there are certain things that I cannot do. If I do them, I will take them to excess and they'll make my life unmanageable. That's all it means. Uh, to me, that's not a weakness. That's empowering. No matter how clean I've been, you know, it's been about five years since I've taken Adderall, which was my drug of choice. You give me two of them <laughs> and I'll disappear from this podcast for a couple weeks and make all kinds of wonderful decisions. I'm still an addict, but today I understand that and I understand how my, my mind works. And, uh, you know, today I can say I'm even a grateful recovering addict. It's one of the greatest gifts God gave me. It's, it's the only way he would have got me. You know, my <laughs> Ryan, my therapist, is always asking, what do you think you'd be, Cade, if you weren't an addict? You'd be the cockiest. You already are the cockiest, but you'd be a nightmare. And you would run around leaving passive destruction with God's children in order to numb your pain. And he's right. But, you know, for me, Sam, I'm grateful for you that are caught in the dregs of addiction or you that are dealing with people who are probably don't believe me or want to throw something at me. And I, I've been there, I promise. But it took a long time for me to understand and become grateful for it. But, you know, as, as we talk about uh, addiction, we, we talk about there's a disease model, right? And uh, the best way and the way I believe addiction works and the way to understand it. So the first time an addict gets his ultimate high, uh, you know, he, he receives this incredible high. And he never can quite match that. It's never as good as it was the first time. And so you get what we call the obsession, and it's this compulsive desire to reach that level. And we go through horrible lengths to achieve it. And so eventually, you know, we relapse and we'll have what we call a spree. And, you know, they, they can last from years to a few days or months, right? And it's, it's when our, our mind just goes wild and we use and all, all this happens. Well... Eventually, you know, hopefully, when we're tired of it, we start to get clean. And the moment reality sets in, because while we're checked out, all the stuff that we're supposed to be taken care of is not being taken care of. And all of a sudden, all of that reality hits us, and it's, it's terrifying. And it's where we say, I'm never going to do this again. <laughs> and we usually mean it. Well, today, I don't have to say that. Uh, that, that stresses me out. That makes me want to use. I just have to say I'm not going to today. And then I'll, I'll talk more about that. Well, the problem is if we don't keep ourselves spiritually fit or practice these recovery principles, eventually that obsession to chase that first tie will kick in again. And 
we will literally forget about all those horrible consequences and we'll use again. The reason I believe that happens is addiction is a spiritual disease and I believe the whole reason for it or for any weakness by, by and large is God wants us to heal from it so we can help other people. And if we're still struggling, I've experienced this in my life many times, God will literally take away those negative consequences through my actions. I should say I take it away, but he allows it to happen and I'll slip again because he understands my son's not getting it yet. I don't want him to suffer anymore, but apparently he likes to. <laughs> so I'm going to let him fall a little further so that he'll become the man or woman that he or she's meant to be, and he'll be able to help my other children. As, as we talk about addiction, you know, it's, it's, it helps to understand the brain. So in your brain, you have all kinds of different parts, right? But we have what's called the prefrontal cortex, and that's your thinking mechanism. That's your moral compass, right? That's your, the logic part of your brain. And then you have on the side of your brain, your midbrain or your limbic system. It's tasked with keeping you alive. It's also, you know, responsible for your desires and passions and everything. So let's say you were drowning and someone was stepping on your head and you had a knife in your hand. Well, most of us wouldn't stab someone. Um, some of us would, <laughs> hopefully not. But if you had a knife and you were drowning, you probably would decide that you're gonna go ahead and stab that person in the leg so you would live. Well, what would happen in your brain is your limbic system would recognize that you are gonna die. It would recognize that your prefrontal cortex is preventing you from stabbing that person because it's against your moral cold. It will shut down your prefrontal cortex and it will take over so that you can stab that person and you won't drown. Well, the same thing happens in addiction. Things get crossed, right? We see it with the homeless guy who's dying of hunger and goes in a uh, convenience store and sees alcohol and buys alcohol. You know, the normal person just does not get it. Well, if we're so far along, that uh, prefrontal cortex will sh be shut down by the limbic system and our brain will say, you need that alcohol to live. Sometimes he does need that alcohol to live because cold turkeying off alcohol, it can be fatal anyway, but I've experienced that shift. And, you know, I didn't understand it, but it was like, man, the moment I was triggered and decided I was going to use, it was done. And uh, that's what was happening. And so, uh, you know, the big part of recovery is, number one, in early recovery, helping us to awake that prefrontal cortex and then eventually adopt a manner of living where it's always active. And for the most part, you know, as, as, I, as I'm strong in my recovery, my prefrontal cortex is, is pretty active. And, uh, you know, today, <laughs> if I'm struggling or I'm in pain, unless I'm really struggling and I haven't been consistent in my program, which I'll talk about in a later episode, um, I just realize it's going to make it a lot worse. And, uh, you know, for me, it's, it's an understanding that this is part of my moral trial and I'm, I'm praying to God to ask him for help, you know, and to go from there. So, the, 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 you know, so the title of this episode is, uh, you know, your addiction is not your problem. You know, I, I talk a ton about trauma and if you guys have seen a lot of my episodes bear with me because I use the same examples um, on multiple occasions but they're the best examples I know um, 
I like this example, the, the one where the, the young kid is abandoned, right? Let's see, a little girl's abandoned at 10 years old. And uh, as you get older, you'll probably start to, at 10 years old, you're going to believe that your dad abandoned you because you weren't lovable. As you get older and start to understand life and your father and you, you probably start to understand that maybe that's not the full case, right? But when you get triggered, when something reminds you of your dad or you see someone that you feel like can hurt you if they leave you, our brain will create these toxic coping mechanisms in order to push that person away um, because we'll get pushed into what's called post-traumatic stress disorder and we become that 10-year-old again. And so the brain's like, no, no, this person can hurt you. This situation is the same. You've got to close off. You got to isolate. You can't let them in or they'll hurt you. And, you know, we, we develop what I've talked about in another episode, which is called avoidant attachment. And really, it just keeps us from, from loving someone and can be a major marker from, uh, you know, from just getting better or us creating meaningful relationships. So on the same token, with addiction... We have trauma, we all have trauma at a very early age. And trauma is very predictable, right? Uh, I can typically, you know, talk to someone for a few minutes and have a fairly accurate idea of what your trauma was, um, whether it was you're abandoned or abused or, uh, you know, betrayed or, or whatever it is, because it's predictable in the sense that the brain creates the same type of coping mechanisms to deal with particular traumas, thinking it's protecting you. And uh, these are really the root causes of our issues, the root cause of addiction. A lot of the time, or at least a, co a contributing factor, a large contributing factor to, to mental illness and a, a bunch of other things. And so if, if, we don't, if we don't deal with these things, with these uh, things, we're just, we're never going to get over this. And, you know, it's why I believe strongly in the 12 steps. It is the hardest self-help program I've ever heard of and uh, because it never ends. And if you really do it, it's certainly not just for addicts. You know, I, I, I've heard it called the atonement for dummies. <laughs> but it saved me in ways I can't describe. And uh, not only has it helped me to understand what my weaknesses or my trauma, my character defects were, it's taught me a way to live and a way to trust God. And I'll talk more about these steps in another episode. But if we don't deal with these things, we're not going to get better, right? A lot of people put a huge emphasis on time. How much time do you have? I got this much time. The world record for time is only 24 hours and it hasn't been broken yet. <laughs> the only reason time is important to me is because it shows other people that it's possible. That's it. But really all I care about is today. Am I clean today? And I have seen time cause a lot of people to struggle. Um, and, and you know, when they, when they relapse and they have a lot of time, it, they really struggle. And so time by itself, it, it, it just, it doesn't mean a lot to me. So, you know, but if we're, if we're talking about dealing with these things, and getting a good length of time, it's understanding how these defects affect us. And the 12 steps is excellent framework for figuring out what your uh, triggers are. You know, a therapist can help as well. When we're talking about addiction, I'm under the strong opinion 
that uh, by far the best are people that have struggled with addiction. It is just hard to understand if you're not an addict, no matter how much you've been through or no matter how much you understand. And so uh, I'm, you know, on top of that or in conjunction with the steps, and I still today have seen a therapist as well, which, is, which has helped a ton, right? I, you know, the reason I like therapy, the reason I like 12 steps and, and cognitive behavioral therapy or talk therapy is because it's hard and it takes a lot of time. I really didn't use a lot of these expedited methods of healing. Not that I wouldn't have wanted to. And, and I've tried some of them. You know, hallucinogenics, I've tried about them all. I've taken tons of acid when I was young. I've done a lot of trips on mushrooms. Um, I understand the mechanism and I'm not totally against it by any stretch of the imagination. I think if used in the right way, they're very effective. Um, but I think when, the, if, when there's such a quick way to overcome trauma or to heal, it's easier to fall back into that same situation. And so sometimes these expedited methods of healing without behavior analysis and modification, they don't keep us from falling back in there. And part of what's kept me from just totally going off the, the you know, going out of control and, and relapsing is remembering how hard it was how hard it was to go through all these things. And so I value it more. If I could just take a mushroom or hit acid or whatever and just be healed, I'm probably not as cautious. And I, I see that happen all the time. You know, and I'll, I'll talk a, a lot about that and I'm not by any means against that. I just think in combination. And again, I think there's no cure for addiction, but there is a reprieve um, through working 12 steps and staying close to the God of your understanding. And I think that it's always there within us because it keeps us close to our Creator and it, and it gets us to help other people. So as we, as we talk about these character defects or these weaknesses, you know, if you look at my episodes, I talk about a lot of them. You know, toxic perfectionism was one of my episodes. That's the idea that I have to be perfect, right? And if I'm not perfect, I'm not doing enough. Uh, that parlays into what is called all or nothing thinking. I'm gonna do everything I can to be perfect, and then the moment I mess up, I'm gonna give up and go completely the other way. It also can work as, well, I've relapsed, I've used. That appointment with the bishop isn't until next week, so. I'm going to use. <laughs> well, you make your life a lot worse in that week, I promise you. I've been there. But those are an example of two character defects. Shame is a huge one. Shame is, is, is the killer, right? Uh, it, guilt is, I feel bad I've done something, and shame is, I've done something wrong, there's something wrong with me. Shame kills a lot of people, keeps us sick, keeps us hiding, keeps us uh, isolating Sadness, depression, fear, resentments, procrastination, the list goes on and on. These things are all triggering things, right? And if we don't work on them, if we don't deal with them, we're not going to stay clean. But getting clean is, is a nice little byproduct of the 12 steps. I work with a lot of guys um, within the program. I call them sponsees, and I have a sponsor. But, you know, my first... My first, uh, one of the first things I tell them is, you think you're doing this to get clean. 
Well, that, that, that's a nice byproduct, but really, this is teaching you to live your life. And I'm constantly working on these character defects, and <laughs> the healthier I get, the more the little things that I have to work on are more manifest and uh, obvious to me. But I think God does that for a reason. You know, five years ago, if God was showing me the things that I needed to fine-tune when I was barely holding on, I would have given up. I would have given up. But today, he works with me, and he doesn't expect me to run faster than I have strength. This message is for you guys and girls that are struggling. It's for my buddies that didn't make it. And it's for the ones that are not doing well now. I've lost far too many people from this disease. And I consistently, as well as the rest of you, see people suffering. There's nothing wrong with you. There is a way out. There is a better way to live. You can have joy again. You can feel again. You can love yourself again. You can feel lovable again. You can find meaningful relationships again. You can get your faith back in God. You can get back everything you've lost. I promise you. I'll never stop. I'll never be able to fully describe how my Savior saved my life, but I'll never, I'll always keep trying to. As I share these things, you know, I, my prayer is that I'll be able to say what I need to say and uh, I'll be able to reach who I need to reach. Is the, if, if you like this message, like I said earlier, my, my website or my YouTube channel is Getting Your Life Back with Cade Cooper. I stream this to audio to Amazon, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts as well. Please share this. Please don't give up. Um, if you don't like me or what I'm saying, reach out to someone. Isolation is your biggest enemy. Satan wishes to keep us in isolation. Connection, connecting with other people in a healthy way is one of the most powerful avenues we can help. For you guys that are at the end, that have tried or are thinking about suicide, I've seen, I've seen people from the other side. It does not end. It does not end. You only will be in a state where you see how your loved ones are hurting that much more and you're in a diminished ability to help them. There's a book, I think it's called Return from Tomorrow. I'll have to check on it, but it's about a guy that passes away and uh, the Savior meets him. And he sees these, these spirits, right, that are no longer with their bodies. And the spirits that have not overcome their addictions, they are just hovering around these people that have bodies. A third of the host of heaven did not come down here to get a body to earth. They chose Satan his plan. Their joy is to inhabit our bodies, to experience all the desires and lusts that our bodies can. And it was interesting what he saw. 
he saw people struggling, people passing out drunk, and spirit would jump in their body. He saw, you know, people looking at pornography, and a spirit would jump in their body. Oh, have I experienced that? Dealing with spirits and dealing with Satan is, is you know, it's not new to me. I had a dream a couple weeks back and there was someone I care about a lot and in the dream he'd been messing with pornography and he was he was lashing out at some family members and I uh, intervened and grabbed him and kind of pulled him away and looked him in the eyes and I could tell he'd been caught up in uh, pornography and I, I told him I said hey you need to stop this you need to get a hold of this and when I said that he morphed into this almost looked like a rug type thing red and white thing that smiled at me and it was a spirit it was the first time I've ever seen one I felt them I've never seen one and all of a sudden its hands were like metal hooks barbed wires and they started going around my arms and right when they were about to sink into my forearm I put my hand on it and said by the power of the Melchizedek priesthood I command you to depart and the moment I said it it recoiled and I woke up well, it had quite an impact on me. I woke up at 2 in the morning. <laughs> and I don't get scared very often, but I was pretty nervous that night. The bathroom light was on the rest of the night. But it helped me understand what is really going on here. There's a lot of battles, but this battle is for the eternal fate of the soul. When we talk about addiction, we talk about a fierce battle for, between God and Satan for the salvation of his children. And it's, it's not something I take lightly. And there's resources everywhere. If you Google 12-step meetings, there's a 12-step meeting for about every addiction that you can possibly find. There's, uh, within my church, there's what's called the ARP program that covers with a wide variety of them. But, you know, I think I was able to forgive myself, my past, as I went through stuff, because I pretty much could say without reservation that I never truly wanted to hurt anyone. I just didn't know how to cope with life. Well, I think that's fair to an extent. Not all the time. But when you're shown a way to get better and you continue to hurt people because you don't know how to handle your pain, yeah, I don't know that there's th that much excuse anymore. You know, for me, it was it was years and years of just searching and praying and wanting to know how to feel better. And bit by bit, as I was ready, God would show me just a little nugget, just a little bit to hold on to keep going. And today, my my two kids, my son, and my daughter, have a sober, present father. And you know, that's really all they've ever known. Because thank God, I got this in check before they got older. You know, I have a thriving business and a lot of good relationships and a lot of good friends. That's amazing to me from a man that didn't want to live. I had so much shame. I would wake up in the morning with so much anxiety. The moment my eyes would open, it would just paralyze me. And just pleading, please, please help me sleep. So often I ask people, how you doing? I'm, I'm 
you know, just getting by. Life's not just about getting by. Life's about thriving, about living, about loving, about relationships, about lessening the divide and increasing the connection between us, God, and His Son. So thanks for tuning in today. I'm humbled and, and you know grateful for this opportunity. And uh, let's get our life back. Thank you.